today on the People Scientist Podcast, I hit episode 100. What better way to celebrate the 100 milestone than to honor and talk about centenarians? Keep listening on to find out more, only here on the People Scientist Podcast. listening to The People Scientist, the podcast dedicated to helping us optimize our health with the latest scientific findings on neuroscience, physiology, and nutrition. I, your host, Dr. Stephanie Caligiuri, a nutritionist, physiologist, and neuroscientist, will be here with you every single week, bringing us information to ignite our thinking, to help us be one step closer to the healthiest we can be. Hello, my People Scientist Army, and welcome back to the People Scientist Podcast, where every week I arm us with some scientific information so that we can all be a little bit smarter and healthier with every episode. How are you doing today? I hope that I can add a little something to your day today with today's episode. And guess what? Today is episode 100. A full 100 episodes under my belt. Can you believe it? We are in the three digits now. That's a pretty big milestone. And I don't know if I ever thought I would get to 100 episodes. It feels wonderful to look back and just to see how much content I have put out there in just over two years. I feel like this podcast has enriched my life so much. I have met new amazing people like You listening, yes you, right now. All of you are the best part of this podcast. I don't think I would know many of you without this show. So I am so very grateful for all of you listening right now. Because you are my favorite part of this whole thing. Every episode I learn something new. It's another reason why I love doing this podcast. Doing this podcast has made me a better more well-rounded scientist. I now approach my research projects with different perspectives because of this podcast. I hope that I have enriched your lives too and truly made all of you a little bit smarter and healthier every week with every episode because that really is my ultimate and most important goal. As I've said before on this podcast, my initial reason for starting this was to share some health information that was evidence-based with my family and friends because I care about them. I want them to be healthy and to live the lives they want to live. I figured if other people started to tune in and listen, if I could positively impact other people, that was an added bonus. Now tons of you listen every week. Many of you message me to tell me what you liked about the episode, to ask a question, or or to let me know that you incorporated some new healthy changes to your lifestyle. And I love hearing from all of you. So thank you for tuning in, for being my inspiration and my motivation. You know, seeing as I hit episode 100, I decided to think back on episode one. And it's kind of funny to to think back on that episode because I feel like I approached it with such a different style. And in truth, it's taken me about, I would say, 85 episodes before I felt like I hit my stride. 
I feel like now this is more representative of me. Like, you know, on my social media, I'll introduce the podcast episodes with dancing or with my true personality. And the way I speak on the podcast now is more my natural way of speaking. When I listen back on episode one, which was all about some neuroscience-based strategies to fight overeating or for us to fight our food cravings, it's a little bit cringy for me, to be honest, because I think I was trying to have a radio voice. I didn't have a microphone, so I was just recording with my old laptop. So I've come a bit of a way. I now have a professional microphone, and I've forgone the the radio voice, and it's just me speaking to you now. So if any of you listening want to start your own podcast one day, and I know many of you do, I really encourage you to do so. And just keep in mind that it can take some time before it feels comfortable, before you've hit your stride maybe sooner or later than around two years like it was for me, but it is definitely worth it because I have all of you as my friends now and you're definitely worth it. So what are we going to talk about today in today's episode? Initially, I thought hmm, I could do a recap and cover some of my favorite topics, but I did that a few months ago at the beginning of the year. So instead, I thought I would cover the topic of centenarians meaning people who have lived to at least 100 years old. That it was a cool idea to dedicate episode 100 to people who have lived to 100. So what characteristics are common among centenarians? Is there anything we can learn from them and their lifestyle in order for us to promote our own longevity and ability to live long, healthy lives? Let's find out. So as we always do, let's start off with some core takeaways. We can learn a lot from people who have reached the age of 100 years, which has been coined as individuals that are centenarians. Scientists have studied these individuals to see if any common traits came through. Scientists identified a variety of positive attributes such as not smoking cigarettes, a smaller body size, diet seemed to play a role, regular exercise, avoidance of stress, family connectedness, avoidance of worry, and a positive attitude toward life. Genetics is thought to only play about 25% of a role in one's ability to reach the age of 100, so our genetics does not necessarily determine our destiny. Our lifestyle, and unfortunately, stochasticity or randomness, also plays a role too. Some cities in particular have high numbers of centenarians like Okinawa, Japan, and Sardinia, these populations have been studied for their lifestyle choices and have provided the foundation for some lifestyle advice for healthy aging that we have today, like regular physical exercise and calorie restriction. So now, let's get into more of those details. In the year 1900, only about 40% of babies born in Western countries were expected to live beyond the age of 65. Today, in these same countries, more than 88% of all newborns will live past age 65, and at least 44% will live beyond age 85. Nowadays, it is reasonable to assume that the total number of centenarians is more than 300,000 people worldwide. So when centenarians do pass away, what are the causes usually, do you think? Can you take a guess? 
Well, in order of most common to least common, the causes of death for centenarians is heart disease, Alzheimer's disease, stroke, cancer, and then influenza or pneumonia. Now, there have been a lot of observational studies where scientists wanted to learn about the lifestyle characteristics or personality traits of individuals that have aged successfully. So let's talk about successful aging first. Successful aging can be looked at both from physical and mental health perspectives, but in other ways too. For example, successful aging can be seen as the absence of disease and the maintenance of physical and mental functioning as the keys to aging successfully. But it also includes life satisfaction, being able to socialize with others, having independence, and having personal growth. Yes, personal growth, even at the age of 100. When I read that, I loved that because that is something I strive for, to always continually try and be better than I was yesterday. So that's something that seems to be important in regard to reaching the age of 100 as well. In 2017, it was published which cities have the greatest concentration of centenarians. Can you take a guess? The greatest concentration of centenarians has been found in Okinawa, Japan, with 500 centenarians per million people in the population. Next was Bulgaria, with 199 centenarians per million. And then Sardinia, with 136 centenarians per million. So as a result, people of Okinawa, Japan in particular, have been studied to understand what characteristics might determine longevity. Researchers have attributed their longevity to good nutrition and low-calorie intake. For example, Okinawan children in the past consumed about 40% fewer calories than children in mainland Japan. But there's also other lifestyle factors they think that contribute, such as having a simple life, and lifelong physical activity. It should be noted that centenarians also tend to be relatively small in stature, both height and weight. Now, it is thought that genetics may predict about 25% of the ability of someone to live past the age of 100, but other factors are important, such as stochastic occurrences like war, violence, or transmissible diseases. But lifestyle factors like diet are also very important. There is one lifestyle factor in our diet that time and time again has been associated with longevity in animals and humans. And I just mentioned it about the Okinawan population as well. It is calorie restriction. Overall, across many animal studies, it has been replicated that if animals are fed, let's say 10 to 20% fewer calories than required, that they can live on average 30% longer than animals fed at their required calorie intake or above. It is thought that calorie restriction or fasting imparts many metabolic adaptations to promote longevity and to reduce chronic disease risk. If that area interests you, you can go back to episode 28 where I talk about fasting. I also talked about the role of NAD or nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide in longevity in episode 97. In that episode, I talk about how we may be able to raise our NAD levels by eating sources of the vitamin B3 niacin or nicotinamide riboside in foods like nutritional yeast, which is distinct from regular yeast because nutritional yeast is deactivated. 
Or we can eat foods rich in vitamin B3 like chicken, turkey, tuna, salmon, peanuts, avocado, brown rice, for example. So that's an interesting topic that seems to be an important molecule in regard to longevity as well in our diet. Other characteristics of diet associated with longevity are quite variable. For example, in Italy and in Sardinia, a Mediterranean-style diet rich in healthy fats coming from olive oil, nuts, seeds, fish, red wine, coffee, vegetables, fruits, and whole grains is associated with a lower risk for many chronic diseases. And I've had two episodes in the past in this podcast where I've talked about the Mediterranean diet and the potential health benefits that span brain diseases, heart diseases, kidney diseases, inflammation, intestinal health, etc. But in Okinawa, Japan, interestingly, the diet's very different from a Mediterranean-style diet. Their diet consists mostly of carbohydrates, and those carbohydrates come from plant-based foods, so it's quite low in fat. So that's why it's difficult for scientists to say that a particular diet seems to promote longevity because there's a lot of different diets across the world, and there's centenarians living on these different type of diets. In my undergrad, I did an honors thesis in the Manitoba follow-up study, which has Air Force veterans from the Canadian Army that were recruited into a longitudinal study to follow them as they aged to determine characteristics of longevity and successful aging. I loved being a part of this study to be able to interact with the individuals because they loved being a part of the trial, and we learned so much from them. For example, in 2012, we published a paper reporting that men with the average age of 85 who had more variety in their diet, eating from all four food groups, tended to have better mental and physical functioning and longevity. Now, this could be interpreted a lot of different ways. Perhaps those who had more variety in their diet also had more financial means or physical means to be able to prepare the food. And that was the reason why we saw the association with better functioning and longevity. Or those who had better chewing capabilities could have more variety in their diet. But I could also play devil's advocate against my own findings that I published here and argue that more variety in our diet is not necessarily better, especially in today's world where we have access to food from all around the world. The reason why I say more variety may not be better is because I have talked about in previous episodes how our immune system gets activated every time we eat, because our body needs to determine if what we just ate is safe. The more variety we have in our diet, the more our immune system may, may be activated because it's for the first time experiencing something. Like if we try a bunch of new things every week, I mean. There could be less immune system activation with eating similar foods every week. This could potentially mean less inflammation in the body. Inflammation can potentially contribute to chronic disease risk and this concept of inflammaging, inflammation contributing to aging. And I go into detail about this in episode 95, for example. But at the same time, this needs to be in balance with making sure that we are obtaining all necessary nutrients from our food, which also requires a certain amount of variety. So, to go back to the initial question, does a variety diet, a diet that has variety, does that contribute to longevity? 
It's a complicated question, and I think that the answer lies somewhere in the middle. We need enough variety to make sure we're getting all of our nutrients, but we don't want to have too much variety exposing our body to a bunch of new things every week either. This concept is supported by the idea that centenarians were found to be less prone to oxidative stress and inflammation and are thought to have better antioxidant defenses, nutritional status, immunological profile, and metabolic characteristics when they were compared to their younger elderly cohorts. That was published back in 1998 by Paliso. But besides diet, what else might be associated with reaching the age of 100? How about personality traits? For example, in the journal Age in 2006, scientists looked at individuals in Tokyo. In this study, the scientists specifically looked at what they call the Big Five personality traits, which includes neuroticism, extroversion, openness, agreeableness, and conscientiousness. Con- oh my gosh, I can't say that word. Conscientiousness. Neuroticism meaning being drastic and irrational. Openness is defined as an active imagination. Sensitivity to aesthetics, attentiveness to our own feelings, preferring variety in life, and intellectual curiosity. Agreeableness is defined as cooperative, polite, and friendly. Conscientiousness is defined as the tendency to be responsible, organized, goal-directed, and willing to adhere to standards and rules. Extroversion typically involves someone being outgoing, having high energy, or being talkative. So based on these definitions of these five big personality traits, which traits do you think were more common in adults 100 years or older? The results showed higher openness in both male and female centenarians, and higher scores of conscientiousness and extroversion in female centenarians as compared to controls. Scientists speculated that these personality traits contributed to longevity because they can be viewed as coping mechanisms to the hurdles involved as one ages, like being open to changes and being adaptable. Being extroverted might mean one has a strong social circle, which we know that having friends or family support is important for a strong structure and our ability to handle life's stresses. Crimmins notes the importance of allostatic load, meaning the cost of compensating for and adapting to stressors upon a person's ability to age well. It's essentially the ability to deal with and bounce back from life stresses, which is resilience, which may be important in the ability to achieve old age. And I talked about the neuroscience of resilience with the expert himself, Dennis Charney, back in episode 39, if you want to give that a listen. So now that I've talked about some lifestyle factors like diet, like the Mediterranean diet and calorie restriction and how they promote longevity and how we may respond to our environment with personality traits and being open and resilient. How about our genetics? Dato in 2017 wrote a great review on genetics being involved in our ability to live to 100. It is estimated that our genetics only contribute about 25% of our ability to become a centenarian, that our lifestyle and environment makes up the rest. Like if we smoke cigarettes, our diet, if we're exposed to air pollution, if we engage in risky behavior, or if we live in a war-torn country, etc. But understanding that genetics plays only about 25% of a part in aging, what genes are those, though? 
Well, studies have been conducted to look at SNPs or alleles, meaning very slight variations in our genes. What this means is we all have a gene, for example, that codes for the protein called gustucin, for example. But my code is just one nucleotide different from your code. That slight difference might be associated with your ability to live longer than me. For example, let me give an analogy. Imagine that we're both reading a story. Let's say that we're both reading the book The Hobbit. But our books differ by just one page. Well, that one page might change how we interpret the whole story. So certain storybook pages or variations in genes have been associated with being able to live beyond the age of 100. So what are those pages or those genes? Well, that includes the gene APOE, or TOM40, which is associated with the risk of Alzheimer's disease. Other genes, such as CDKN2B, which regulates cellular senescence, or the life cycle of a cell and its ability to quiet. ABO, which tags the O blood group, seems to be associated with longevity. SH2B3, which regulates lifespan in flies and seems to be involved in neurological disease, was associated with the ability to reach the age of 100. But remember, our genetics are not our destiny. Our lifestyle choices seem to play a very important role as well. And I hope that we all reach the age of 100 with great happiness and health, which essentially is successful aging. Perhaps that is my new goal for the podcast. For us all to be healthy and happy centenarians one day. So that is a wrap, my people, scientist army, episode 100. We did it. In this special episode 100, I dedicate it to people who reached the age of 100 and beyond. What played a role in their ability to do so? Well, beyond luck and randomness being in their favor, of course, Their genetics likely contributed about 25% to their ability to reach that age. We can learn a lot from centenarians in their lifestyle, like not smoking cigarettes, having regular physical activity, eating less calories than we require, or fasting regularly, which I think is the most scientifically well-supported factor in longevity is calorie restriction. There are so many animal studies showing that calorie restriction can extend the lifespan of animals, and there's associations with humans like in these centenarian studies as well. There's also other factors such as eating the Mediterranean diet as it seems to impart many health benefits. Remember the Mediterranean diet seems to be primarily consisted of olive oil, nuts, seeds, vegetables, fish, whole grains, red wine, and coffee. Personality traits like being open and adaptive and resilient seem to play an important role in one's ability to reach the age of 100. Having a strong social network also seems to play an important role. Hopefully we learn more about longevity and our ability to age successfully as the research continues. There you have it, a few tidbits of information for us this week. If you don't already follow me on social media, you can do so via the handles in the description box. That is where I like to share some of the major studies and papers that I cite in each episode. 
If by chance you'd like to buy me a coffee to say thank you for the episode, the information on how to do that is in the description box as well. I hope you all have the best week ever, and thank you for tuning in with me into episode 100. Just you listening to this episode, I take that as you celebrating with me. So thank you for that. And I'm looking forward to meeting you all back here, the same time and same place next week for episode 101. Bye for now. I am a scientist simply sharing scientific evidence. Some of the clinical interventions I discuss are not appropriate for everyone. Before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle, please do consult the advice of your physician or dietitian. My opinions expressed here do not necessarily reflect those of Mount Sinai Hospital and its affiliates. Thank you.